Hi, welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership training, and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. In today's podcast, I will be interviewing Ben Gowland. Ben is the host of the General Practice podcast, and he's also the founder of Occam Healthcare, which is a leading healthcare consultancy specialising in the development of primary care. I've had the pleasure of working with Ben coming up to a year now. And one of the things that I have learned about him the most and what I really enjoy about working with him is his approach to managing multiple stakeholders. Ben is really good at bringing people together to reach a common goal, resolve conflicts, provide options and help the project or the development move forward. And I thought it'd be really good and really timely to bring Ben onto the Business of Healthcare podcast for him to share his approach. Also, I think it'd be really helpful for new primary care network managers, PCN development managers, transformation managers in the field of healthcare, but also for anybody in the field of healthcare working with multiple stakeholders. It, it can be a tough gig trying to rally the troops, bring everybody onto the same page and get your initiative delivered with everybody feeling like they've had a say and that they are supportive of the decisions, even if it wasn't their preferred option. Ben provides some practical advice on how to build relationships. We also talked about the importance of equity and decision-making. We also talked to Ben about what's going on for him and that he has written a book. There may be another one in the pipeline. He's got a website, he's got his consultancy and he's got the podcast. So he's a busy man. He's got a lot going on. So I hope you enjoy and I would be really interested in hearing your key takeaways um, from this episode on our social media channels. You can find me at THC Primary Care on Twitter and you can find me as Tara Humphrey on LinkedIn. Enjoy. Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. I wanted to get you on because we've had the pleasure or I've had the pleasure of working with you. (laughs) And I think your approach to managing multiple stakeholders is really effective. And I think with the advent or the kind of implementation of primary care networks and lots of new network managers coming on board I think you could offer lots of advice and kind of regardless of whether you work in the PCN or not in healthcare we always have to manage multiple stakeholders and it's a skill and it is a challenge so that's what I would like for us to discuss today. Okay sounds great. Okay so those of my listeners that don't know you could you give yourself a quick introduction? Okay I've worked in healthcare for about 25 years and about the last half of that working primarily with general practice so I was the chief executive of a federation, accountable officer of a CCG. And then four years ago, I set up my own business, which is called Occam Healthcare. So I present a podcast called General Practice Podcast, write a blog, and then do work with federations, networks, groups of practices, sort of help, mainly helping practices work together and get the benefits of that for themselves. And what are you currently working on at the moment? So I'm currently working with a federation in Redbridge called Healthbridge Direct, so that's 42 practices. And we're working on, uh, that's an area where they've had real underinvestment, I think, in general practice and, and the practices have, have struggled. And so we're keen to understand how, by working together, 
can we make a difference for core general practice? So, so I've been doing that for a bit longer than I normally do work with, with places, but it's been really, really good fun sort of starting that off and then, and then seeing it develop over about a year now I've been doing that. So primary care networks is kind of the topic at the moment, and that's a lot of focus for people working in primary care. Some PCNs are going down the route of recruiting project managers and network managers. And I thought, given your experience, what advice would you give to a new network manager in the kind of first 90 days of their role, looking at how they're going to be managing all of these stakeholders? Yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I got my first director position, I was working at a hospital in, in Croydon, actually. And the chief executive said to me, I said, you know, what, what do you want me to do? What, what are like the initial priorities? And she said, listen, Ben, what, what I want you to do is, is not do anything. I was like, I, I don't know what he means. He said, no, what I want you to do is don't focus on like delivering something. But what I want you to do is go and meet as many people as you can listen to what they've got to say and just build relationships with them and then start doing stuff after that. And I, I've got to say, I was a bit dubious <laughs> at the time because when you, when you take on a new role, you always feel like you've got to prove yourself and that you've got to do things quickly. But the reality of roles, and I think, you know, primary care network manager roles are similar to director roles and, and other roles in the NHS where they're really all about relationships. So, the, the most important thing is, I think, to build effective relationships. And the, and the best way to build relationships is to meet people and listen to them and really understand what their problems and what their challenges are. Because if you've got a relationship with someone, it's much easier after that to then try and get things done. So the, the mistake I see sometimes people make is to go, right, I've got to make a name for myself. And they come in and what they do is they, they do deliver something quickly but it's at the expense of relationships. So they've delivered something, but you know, the rest of the organization hates them. General practice don't like them. You know, people think they don't really fit around there. So it kind of, they've set themselves in a really difficult position going forward. So I think less is more in the first 90 to 100 days. And what do you say to, so if you've got, I know primary care network managers that are working part-time, they're doing this two days a week, and there is a pressure to deliver. So they're being commissioned to provide a service two days a week and there is the expectation for them to do more than just listen and build relationships. What would you say to the kind of the commissioner, the clinical director that said, I need this extra pair of hands, I need your skill set? Well, I, I was always, there's a balance, right? So clearly there's deadlines and there's liverables and you can't go, hold on, it's my first night of days, nothing's going to be happening here. You, you, can't, you can't do that. Okay. So you, you have got to do stuff. But what I would say is when you have choices on how you use your time, prioritize building those relationships and do take the extra time. So if you have the choice between an email and a phone call, do the phone call. If you have a choice between a phone call and a visit, do the visit. So, you know, face to face meeting people, that's the way you build relationships. So don't, try and resist getting sucked too quickly into i've got all these things to do so what i'm going to do is just have to do it all in the office and write these papers and i'll just send stuff out that people need to know without with even within that even within the task that you're being given actually building relationships with the people around them because all people are going to then know you for is the person i get these emails from that's asking me to do stuff and it's it's a really difficult platform to go on and do you know because you know, those primary care network managers, whilst there might be returns and stuff that need doing now, when you get into the the difficult part of how do you support the member practices of a network to actually make change happen, 
they're going to need to know you and trust you to sort of facilitate that process along. So when thinking about kind of conflict and that you've got within your PCN, it may not be harmonious. What advice would you give to a new network manager in helping to address and resolve some conflicts that they may be experiencing around practices not getting on or practices struggling to make decisions together? How do you approach that? Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> and there's no getting away from it, right? And there is, there is conflict in general practice. That you know, I've worked into practices where you know, some of the partners aren't speaking, let alone conflict between the different practices. So, and you're not going to be able to change some of, some of that. But I think, I guess, you know, in terms of how I approach it is, my sense is there's always common ground. And often the often conflict that exists comes out of poor communication and misunderstandings. So the, the, the trick is to kind of spend, again, <laughs> people think all I do is go and listen to people, but it's kind of, if you really listen to what, where different people are and understand what it is, then I think the job of the primary care network manager or the facilitator, or whoever you are, is to say, well, where, where is the common ground? I mean, I remember, I've been to quite a few places where I go and talk to practice and they say, the CCG, hates us they never give us anything you know we really we don't know why they've got it in for us but they've definitely got it in for general practice and then i go and speak to the ccg and say you know how do you you feel about general practice and they go well we really want to invest in general practice but they're really hard we just can't get we can't get into them we can't we can't get them to all we all we need from them is like two sides of a four so we can actually give them some money but they won't they won't even produce that we don't know how to get them to do that so if you can get to the place where look the CCG wants to support general practice and general practice wants to be <laughs> understands in a difficult place and wants to be supported, then it's just about bringing those two things together. And so often I think that these types of roles are about finding the common ground and then building bridges between them. Um, and probably having mediation skills constantly. <laughs> I think- well, well, it's about relationships. So if you can have a relationship with both people, and it's not it's not picking a side. It's like you know you're, you've got to stay neutral and have a relationship with both people. Then then I think that's what actually can do it. Because if they'll listen to you, if both people will listen to you, even if they won't listen to each other, at least you can get things to happen. One thing you are really good at is providing the networks and people with options. So if they're not quite sure on what to do, it's not just one option you're presenting. There's always a few for them to pick and pull apart and then create. common ground and something that they're comfortable with yeah i think often with these things there's no right answer so i might have a view look you know if it was me this is what i would do but really it's like saying this is these are the ways you could go and these are the consequences of choosing those things but ultimately you have to own that decision and if i just decide for you you know especially if you if the network manager says right we're going to do this scheme we're going to do pharmacy introduce pharmacists in this way but the practices don't have ownership of that then that is going to be an uphill struggle for that primary care network manager because the whole time practice well, i've wanted to do it like this anyway but if they chose it and you can always go back well remember you had this choice this is what you chose it's much easier to do the implementation from there so moving it a little bit away from your kind of one of your day-to-day roles and that's working with DP federations and primary care networks, you've got the podcast and it's hugely successful. On a day-to-day basis, what kind of feedback and positive stories do you get about how your podcast is helping other people? Well, we've been doing the podcast now for about two and a half years, I think. So 
I think it's two and a half years. It might be, it might be, it might be longer, but it's been, it's been a, a quite a while. And I think in that time, general practice has been in quite a difficult position. You know, so I think the challenges facing general practice are quite significant. And so what we've been trying to do with the podcast is say, yes, things are difficult, but here are different things that people are doing to actually tackle that or get through it or to make it a little bit better. So I think the the bit that I find most, the thing that I like best is when you know people just talk about the podcast as a bit of positivity in what can feel like a world of negativity or some hope when you know things just seem like there's nothing we can do or maybe there is something we can do. So I think it, it's that it's the feedback that actually we listen to podcasts and then we then we did something similar or we copied that or we took that idea. I remember going to one practice and they said. Oh, uh, <laughs> they were like, we've got pharmacists and we've got physician associates and they're working really well, but we're listening to your podcast on physiotherapists and we, we, we're really keen now to get physiotherapists in. And so we've, we've started that whole process to introduce them to our practice. So there's a bit about just, just spreading, you know, good practice and, and giving people access to that is, I guess, what I personally find most rewarding about it. So you've got your consultancy, the podcast, a blog and a website and you've written a book. Yes. How do you fit that all in? <laughs> well, yeah, so it is it can be challenging. And but what I'm I'm really lucky. I've got a a is I've got a small team who really support me well. So I have a a guy who helps me with. And he's called Ian. So we wrote the book together, and he what he does with the podcast. So I do like you're doing. So we do the interview and we do the recording. But then he's just amazing at turning you know, my stuttering words <laughs> into something that sounds great each week and he turns it around, you know, really quickly. So having someone who can just take it from the you know, the raw file to the finished product is fantastic. I've got somebody who looked after the website, which doesn't sound like much, but websites, anyone who's got a website will know they go, they need work <laughs> and they, they, they're constantly having someone else make, just making sure that that's all right is a, is a, is a big thing. And I've also got a VA, so I don't know if you can VA, so virtual assistant. So it's like a PA only. It's a girl called Sarah, but she's not based with me. She, she lives out in Kent, actually. And so she organizes all the, particularly the podcast guests. And because it's quite a lot of work in terms of finding the guests, then making sure that they understand what's going to happen, getting the questions. And, you know, there's all that communication with them. So that's all managed by her. And are you working on any other kind of big projects? Is there going to be another book? Is there going to be the podcast live on tour? <laughs> we, we, there's, there's talk of another book. So we are, we do think that, so the first book was called The Future General Practice. And then where we took like the different aspects that we thought, you know, are the components of how can you, what's needed to actually enable general practice to thrive going forward. And we definitely think there is a kind of future of general practice primary kept primary care networks because if you for us it's like well primary care networks are about getting the benefits of scale about introducing new roles about working as part of the system all the things we talked about in the book so i we we think there's like a a second almost like a second version of book focused on networks but like you say it's just about finding the time to actually put that together how much time in your week do you dedicate to reading because lots of stuff comes out about primary care networks and you always kind of head of it or you know like on it you can a new document gets produced and you know two days later there's a podcast about it now how much time do you spend a week making sure that you have got the most up-to-date information 
what I'll try and do is sort of combine some of the different things that I do. So what I don't do is go, right, I've got, here's a day's reading. Because as you all know, if you ever try and have a day's reading, it's just impossible. It just gets taken up with, with other things. But if an important document comes out, so let's say the new GP contract gets published, then I'll always try and write a blog on it mainly because I always write a blog every week. And so combining reading the document with writing the blog, I find like a, a helpful way of combining tasks and actually, so instead of just reading a document and only taking half of it, and if you actually have to turn it into, and here's what I think about it as well, you actually have to kind of take it in. And also with the podcast, so some of the guests are, the, are my biggest source of information and, and knowledge. So just by having interviews like this, you, you learn so much. And so actually you know, talking to them and I find out from them, you know, a lot of the things that are going on. So I find that really helps me sort of understand not just the documents, but kind of what's sitting behind the documents and the implications of that for different people. Taking kind of all of your work experience and working with practices from a business perspective, let's take how practices and federations view to financial management and money. What key principles do you could help practices and federations manage their cash flow better and allocate their resources more effectively? It's an interesting question about sort of financial management and federations. So federations vary. So you've got some that are not-for-profit and have set up as, some, some have set up as community interest companies and some have, some are for-profit and they do that to create dividends for their practices to then support their practices who are, who are who are struggling. So I don't think there's a right answer on whether you're for-profit or not-for-profit. So I think, I think the trick is, so those federations that have done it really well tend to have, whether it's a GP or a, a, an outside sort of finance person who really has a grip on not just the sort of total money, but, but cash flow as well, because you've got, you've got to manage both. And and where, and where that's in place, and federations, often GPs, you can understand that really well. And so it's getting the right GP from across the federation to be in the federation managing that, then it, then it works fine. It's just making sure the people with that expertise is in place, because if it's not actively managed, then that's when federations can get into trouble. When thinking about stakeholder engagement and conflict, how important is equity around decision making should everybody have an equal slice of the pie or does it matter that some may take more than one practice in one instance and then you know down the line somebody else reciprocates or should it be even stevens all the time it's it's an interesting question i i think sometimes especially federations, but, but organizations, you know, or pra- groups of practice, if they're too fixated on equity in every, in every decision like that, it actually sort of can get in the way and stop them being able to do things. So more important than equity for me is that everyone is happy with a decision that's made. And if you can encourage people to take a longer view that says, this time, these people benefit, but potentially next time other people are going to benefit, but it's going to work itself out over a longer period. It gives federations and potentially networks going forward the ability to have more flexibility in what they do and how they do things. So for example, like a federation might get some money that it can only use with a few of its practices or a network might get some funding that it can only really 
work with one practice for. And I think that's okay. But then the next time the opportunity comes, it needs to be a different set of practices or a different practice that, that benefits. But rather than say, well, unless we can all benefit, no one benefits, people end up making decisions that you think you're just wasting the opportunity because this principle of equity was getting in the way. There's a lot of support available to PCNs. Um, and as somebody kind of part of that space, it can feel a little bit overwhelming. When so the, con- the network agreements have been created, and now they're starting to think about the PCN maturity matrix and their development plans. Where do you point PCNs in the direction of support? Because there's a lot of um, NHS central support and there's also independent businesses saying we can help you develop your PCN. Yeah, I mean, for me at this stage, I would encourage networks to think about their the, the most important thing is how they build relationships between the practices in the network and how the network creates an ability to deliver effectively. So if there's development resource available, my priority for it would be not on external support. It would be on time for the practices to spend together. So, you know, backfill time for the, for the GP so you can actually get them together and do things like agree this is what we want to do together. This is our purpose for the network or this is the projects we want we want to focus on. So actually get that sort of time together because what you're doing is building relationships and, and building trust, which is a really, really important platform for delivery. And alongside that, I'd, I'd invest in some delivery capacity. So, you know, the, the CD is not going to have the time or space to be able to deliver the projects that are that are going to be needed. So, how is the primary care network going to actually make delivery happen? So I think in people like you, so primary care network managers, so in those type of people to actually be able to say, this is how we're going to introduce the new roles. This is how we, and then, you know, how we're going to then prep for the, the new specs that happen, any, any other projects that the network might want to do. Because I think if the practices have a good relationship and trust each other, and if they've got an, a, a way of then converting their ideas into action, that's what I would be spending the money on at this point rather than, you know, if, if, if outside people come in, then you've got a better relationship with them and then that tends to be set-piece events and they take time. And at this point, so I think you'll need that, but at this point, it's relationship between the practices and, and just getting things done. And that capacity to deliver projects, do they get that from their GP Federation? Not, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think at this point, it needs to be some... It needs to be someone that's owned by the network and the network feel like it's their resource. Now, it could be hosted by the Federation, but I don't think it's the Federation's given to the network. I think it's the networks because it has the networks are a new thing. And if you're trying to create this relationship, it's part of that is this sense of identity. You know, we are a network. This is, this is us and this is our resource to do this thing. So I do think there's a need to create that and have that and I think having a common resource that's just the networks is a key part of that. So a bit more about you so we we were in a a mastermind for a little bit that's kind of how we got connected and we love a business book we love a podcast what are you currently what are you currently reading and listening to? I guess my favorite podcast at the minute is one called Akimbo by Seth Godin so I love Seth Godin. If people haven't ever come across his books, there's one called Purple Cow, and there's, he's got—I mean, he's got—he's got loads. One called The Dip. I, I do think his way of looking at the world 
and his way of thinking about things is I find really inspirational and a real, a real you know, I find it really helpful. And the, the, Akimba, the good thing about the Akimbo podcast is it's short, so it's only 20 minutes. So some of them, the ones that I really like, are very long. And so I just don't have time to listen to them. And books-wise? Books-wise, I think the one book that I'd recommend that everybody reads is a book by John Cotter, who's uh, from Harvard University. It's called Iceberg is Melting. And literally, it's going to take you 10 minutes to read it. It's a story about penguins who need to find a new home because their icebergs melting but it's a the, the sort of cotter change model he has this eight step change model is sort of the book illustrates it perfectly and you know you know, in in the work that i do consultancy it's all it's all based on the cotter change model and i just i just think because it starts with i really really understand the problem i get everyone to understand the problem before we even start to talk about what the solution might be i just think that having that mindset when you go in to tackle something is just so important so i think it's that's that's definitely would be my number one recommendation for a book so you run at your business and you help other people to run their businesses. What is the biggest lesson you have learned to date on your business journey? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the thing I'd say is, so I know I'm not good at everything, right? So there's things that I'm good at and there's things that I'm not good at. And so what I try and do in the business is focus on the things that I'm good at and, not, and leave the other stuff to other people. So, I mean, I like organizations that are starting up that where things are like taking things where they're new and creating something and just getting the energy and the pace into it and making and making things happen whereas you know as a account officer at ccg for a while that sort of running an established organization in a in a statutory environment where things just move at a much slower pace that's not as other people are better at that than than i am <laughs> so so i think i think I think if you if you put yourself in a space where you're doing things that you're good at, then you're much more likely to be successful than if you don't. Okay. And if people want to find out more about you and the podcast and your consultancy, where can they find you? Best place is our website, which is just occam.healthcare. Occam's O-C-K-H-A-M. If you want to contact me, I'm Ben at occam.healthcare or on Twitter, I'm at Ben X Gowland. Thank you so much. There's loads of key takeaways um, we can all take from that. And I'm sure everybody will be tuning in to the next episode of your podcast. I hope they do. Thanks, Tara. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast with Ben Gowland. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, if you could share this episode and post any key takeaways, that would be great. You can find me on Twitter THC Primary Care and also on LinkedIn under Tara Humphrey.